Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, great word that you give us, Lord. And thank you for not only giving us your word, but giving us your spirit, the one who pours out your words to us. You pour out your spirit to make known your words to us, Lord. Thank you. And do that for us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Genesis chapter 37, verse 18, we're going to be studying this morning. Genesis 37, 18. Okay, here we go. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, let us slay him, cast him into some pit, and we will say some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. And Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, and cast him into this pit, that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might read him out of their hands to deliver him for his father again. And it came to pass when Joseph was come unto his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him, and they took him and cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread And they lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites from the Gilead, from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, what profit is if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him. For he is our brother and our flesh, and his brethren were content." Okay, in our last study, we saw this terrible conspiracy of the brothers of Joseph. We saw that here is Joseph. He's coming to them. He's got love in his heart. He's got concern in his heart. He wants to do them good. And even before he gets to them, when they just see him far off, they, they put this plot together to kill him. And we saw how Joseph, they kind of bring themselves into doing this by coming up with this derogatory name. You know, it says in the English, this dreamer cometh, the Hebrew, this master of dreams comes. And we can imagine. Why do they do that? Because, you know, we can see that, uh, we can imagine some of the brothers just didn't quite have the stomach, you know, to murder their brother, Joseph. So by calling him this derogatory name, then the other brothers who who were really the ringleaders here, they were seeking to bring the rest into agreement to kill him. 
You know, this rally call, you know, come now in verse 20. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him. It's all this come now, therefore, that shows that not all the brothers were in on this. I mean, were in agreement with this to kill Joseph. It reminds me of the murder of the Jews in Nazi Germany. How, you know, many of the Germans didn't have the stomach to kill their Jewish neighbors, their Jewish friends, their Jewish merchants. And many of the Germans, they just, they, they weren't in for, they weren't in for killing all these innocent little Jewish children clinging to their mothers. So what did they do? The Nazis used the same tactics uh, that the brothers of Joseph used because they started calling the Jews derogatory names to bring the Germans in to get the stomach to kill the Jews. Now, and let us slay him rally slogan here that the small group, whoever they were, the murderous brothers, were bringing him in. And then they saw how they, they, they said in verse 20, Let, let's cast him into some pit. And that was designed, again, to get all the brothers just to despise Joseph. You know, look, you're going to cast him into a pit. What are you going to see there? You know, his bloodied, stripped body just cast away like trash. And and it was getting them to devalue him, to dehumanize him. And so we look at Joseph. Here he is. He's coming. He's so happy. And and is he his brothers? And meanwhile, his brothers are planning his murder. That's the picture of treachery. We saw how they thought, you know, the, the great problem is that, what are we going to tell dad? What are we going to tell dad when we get home? And so then so they come out and say, oh, I know. We'll say, some evil beast has devoured him. That's it. Blame it on some evil beast. But in verse 20, the real motive, why are they doing this? It's coming out at the end when they said, we shall see what will become of his dreams. Ah, I see now. That explains it all because really they're afraid maybe his dreams are going to come true and maybe we are going to have to bow down to him. So you know what? We'd rather kill him than to bow down to him. That's what they're saying. We'd rather kill Joseph than bow down to Joseph. Reminds me of the time I was in Iloilo in the Philippines and a Filipino pastor came up to me and when he heard that I had Jewish background and he told me that he had just met his first Jew, and he was so excited because he told him that the Lord Jesus Christ was the Messiah and that he could receive him as his personal Lord and Savior. And then this pastor, he had this shocked look on his face, and he said, he said to me he would rather go to hell than to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. Well, these brothers would rather kill Joseph than to see the day when they would bow down to him as Lord of them. I mean, what a scene this is to see Joseph. He's coming to his brothers, and his brothers are plotting to kill him. It's a picture of how the Lord Jesus Christ came, uh, came unto his own, John 1.11, and his own received him not. Here's Joseph coming to his own, and his own received him not. Okay? And so now we come to verse 21, and we're just shocked to read this. As we said, you know, saw this. Reuben, Reuben, <laughs> you, yeah. In verse 21, Reuben heard it, he said, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. I mean, this is Reuben. I can't believe this is Reuben. Reuben's kind of the last person you'd think that was going to show mercy and save him, but he did. And so Reuben now, we see Reuben really swinging into action in verse 22. He's so quick on his feet. Reuben said unto them, shed no blood. Cast him into this pit that's in the wilderness. Lay no hand upon him. He might root him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. See, it seems as though Reuben was not quite in the middle of all this plotting that was going on because it says in verse 21, Reuben heard it. 
Now, we're going to see that Reuben, we don't know what's happening here, but Reuben seems to then have left the group because when the Midianites came and they actually sell Joseph into it, it seems like Reuben never knew anything about this. It seems like Reuben really thought that they killed him. So anyways, he hears them at this point saying, you know, the, the plot, and he understands that not everybody's got a stomach to do this. And so he decides to work through, and he says, let us not kill him. So Reuben can see, you know, everybody's not completely on board on killing Joseph. And so Reuben, he takes an angle, and he says, look, I'm not saying that he shouldn't die, but not in this messy manner. Now, let's, we don't want to kill him ourselves. I got a better idea. It's Reuben at work, you know. And he goes through, and he says, he's working on them by saying, you know, it's going to be horrible for you. Can you imagine having Joseph's blood on your hands? That's terrible. You know, you, you don't want to look at the, your hands and see Joseph's blood. And, and what are you going to do, wipe it off? I mean, it's going to be like clothes, and that's messy. Wash it away. It reminds me of the time when the two Israeli soldiers got lost in Gaza and ended up in the hands of the Arabs. You remember that? And they took them upstairs in this room, and they murdered them. And cameramen were all down along there, and, they, and, the, and the Arabs came. Two Arabs came to the window, and they had dipped their their hands in the blood of the Israelis, and they held it up like that for the blood for everybody to see. It was horrible. The picture was horrible. That's the picture that Reuben's driving here to get his brothers not to kill Joseph. Shed no blood, and they lay no hand upon him. You know, and he had to work hard. Reuben did, and he had to work fast to get him not to agree. This was going on. This was very, very fast. Everything is happening here. And so he quickly, he, he sees a pit, and he says, this is the pit right here. So notice how, how uh, see, see the progression here. Notice in verse 20, when they said, we'll cast him into some pit. See that word? Some pit in verse 20. See, the brothers, they just had the concept they were going to cast him into some pit. We've got to find a pit. Haven't found the pit yet. But then we see in verse 22, Reuben has identified the exact pit for his plan. And see, that's very important in verse 22 where it says, cast him into this pit. This pit. He's got it, see? And you think about this. This was pretty risky for Reuben. This was risky for him because they didn't know what he had in mind. But, you know... <laughs> you think that Joseph brought the first evil report about his brothers? Think about that evil report he's going to bring back to his fathers. You know, they try to kill me. And then Reuben really would have been in trouble. So Reuben here was trying to save Joseph here, but Reuben was not seen as trying to save Joseph. Instead, Reuben was, was seen as really kind of going along with them and wanting to kill Joseph. So Reuben, what Reuben was really saying was that, look, boys, a quick death for Joseph, that's not as good as a slow, excruciating, agonizing death for Joseph that lasts a long time. This death by starvation, this death by thirsting, that's more cruel, don't you think? That's the death we want for Joseph, not this quick death. We want a slow, agonizing death. See? And that's just like it was for the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't die in a quick death of a sword or a decapitation. No, the cry was, crucify him, crucify him. Crucifixion's not a quick death. It's a slow, agonizing death drawn out over a long period of time. 
Okay, now we see Joseph's arrival in verse 23, you know, where it says, and it came to pass when Joseph was coming to his brethren, they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. See? So Joseph survived, and to his shock, his brothers grab him. We can imagine saying, Joseph saying, what are you doing? You know, and Joseph only had to look on their faces to see what they were doing. But it was very painful for Joseph at this moment, especially to be stripped out of his coat of many colors. He liked that coat. It was a nice coat. It was so special to him because it was a statement of his father to him. Joseph felt really good when he wore that coat because this was like he was being clothed with his father's love and and here he's experiencing this special coat being stripped off him. You gotta look at verse 23 and you see how special that coat was to Joseph, you know, when it speaks about stripped out of his coat, his coat of many colors. We know it's a coat of many colors, is where he said that, but it's emphasized again here to show how special it was to him. And, you know, you can't read something like this without thinking of the Lord Jesus Christ and what happened to him. He was nailed to the cross. He had a special coat. It actually became part of a prophecy in Psalm twenty-two, eighteen. Psalm twenty-two, eighteen. They parted my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. That's his coat. And that's referring to John 19, 23. John 19, 23. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They sit therefore among themselves, let's not rend it, but cast lot for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith they parted my garment among them, and for my vesture did they didn't cast lots. These things therefore the soldiers did. So that's a special coat to the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he was wearing that coat, and he was stripped from it when he was crucified. It hurt. It reminds me of what happened to me. Now, you may think that this is strange, but then you know that I'm strange, so then you'll understand. <laughs> but several times a year, you know, I used to go to London, and London is not like San Diego. It's cold. And sometimes it gets really cold in London, and you never quite, you know, I don't you know, and they have a coat being on. Anyway, so it wasn't really, it was sort of cold this day. And I was walking by a shop in Piccadilly Circus there, and I was looking in a window, and there was a really nice windbreaker coat. Oh, I like that coat. You should have seen it. It was white, it had red, and then a blue. You could reverse it. It was called the yachting coat. It was really nice. Anyway, and so I bought it. I really like that coat. I mean, I'm confessed to you, I like that coat. And so, but, you know, I, I didn't really have use for it here in San Diego because it gets too hot. So I used to keep a duffel bag all the time at the hotel there at Regents Park, Marion. And I used to, they used to keep a duffel bag for me all the time because I was lazy. I didn't want to carry clothes all the time back and forth, so I kept a bunch of clothes there. And so I said, I know, I'll keep my coat in this duffel bag. Yeah. Anyway, and so, and the duffel bag was locked, and, and every time I come to London, you know, oh, I'm going to go there, I get to wear the coat, you know, because <laughs> it'll be cold, and then I can wear the coat. And so, I remember one time, so one day I came from the States, and I arrived at the hotel, it was about 10 at night, it was late, and I got my duffel bag to the room, and I noticed, <laughs> I noticed the lock had been forced open, and the coat was gone! My special coat had been stolen. Probably doesn't mean that much to you, but it did to me anyway. And I'll tell you what, I was having a hard time with that. 
I was having a hard time that night realizing that my favorite coat had been stolen because I really liked that coat and I was looking forward to it and wearing it. And I just pictured it in my mind, you know, the person prying the lock open, the duffel bag, and going through the stuff and coming across the coat and saying, oh, this is a really nice jacket. I'll take this jacket. And, and I was replaying this in my mind. And every time I would think of that, I'd say, no, that's my jacket. <laughs> you can't take it. And I got a picture of me pulling back and forth the tug of war with the jacket, you know. And, and I really got upset, you know. I got more and more upset. I really needed a deliverance. Because this was like taking over. I was becoming obsessed with this coat that was stolen. Well, I got to tell you, it was this verse that delivered me about the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I just thought about, you know, that special coat that the Lord Jesus Christ was wearing when he was crucified. And how from the cross, he watched as the soldiers took his coat, saying, well, he won't need this coat anymore. And then they said, wait, this is all one piece. It's too nice to rip into four pieces. Let's cast a lot. Let's gamble for it. See who's going to be. And I just pictured the Lord saying, but that's my coat. And as I thought more and more about the Lord Jesus on the cross, and he's wearing this nice coat, and there's being gambled, and the winner's smiling, and he's taking it away from him, and he's watching all this transpire under his eyes there uh, uh, from the cross. That delivered me from being upset about my coat. Because I was able to actually thank the Lord that my coat was stolen. And I thought, Lord, now I know just a little about how you felt as your nice coat was stolen from you right under your eyes. So, so thank you. Thank you for allowing me to have uh, the, my nice coat stolen just to know a little bit about how you felt from the cross. I mean, it was worth it to have the nice coat to enter into a little of what you suffered on the cross. Anyway, the subject is nice coats. And this was a really nice coat that Joseph was wearing, and it really hurt him to have it stripped off him. And when it says that, that's what's uh, as I say, that's emphasized in verse 23. Now, they've stripped off his coat in verse 24, and it says they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. Okay, their first action in verse 24 is they took him. Now, this is violence. This is violent. You know, and they didn't say to Joseph, okay, Joseph, buddy boy, let's just let you down nice here into this pit. Easy does it. Watch your step. How you doing down there? Everything okay? You know, that wasn't the way it was. You didn't hurt yourself, did you? No. I mean, it was not that way at all. It was violent. It says when they took him. They didn't care how, how he got roughed up or if he broke any bones during this rough treatment. They were meaning for him to suffer and die. So in violence, they took him. And then we read... They cast him into a pit. See, the word cast is very meaningful. And when something is cast away, it's seen as having no value. It's despised. I mean, cast, that's really an act of anger and despising. You really get the idea behind this word, although it's not used, but it's the spirit of it in Psalm 2. When God asks the question, Psalm 2, Psalm 2, verse 1, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, his Messiah, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them 
in his sore displeasure. See, his response is really the spirit of cast. The spirit of cast here is like the Lord that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. He shall have them in derision, speak unto them in his wrath, and vex them in his sore displeasure. He's laughing, and God is laughing in scorn, and having them in derision, and speaking in wrath, and vexing them. That's what's behind the meaning of cast. You know, cast is a word that God uses. God uses that to describe what happens to everyone that ends up in hell. Here's how each person gets in hell. Very much like Joseph was cast into this pit. Matthew 8, 12. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 22, 13. Then shall the king say unto the servants, bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 25, 30. Matthew 25, 30. Cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. People who God sends to hell are not placed there gently. They are cast there. And it's described as a place as outer darkness. Just, just, what does that mean, outer darkness? Just picture being lost in a large open ocean at night with no moon and crying out for help and no one answers. That's outer darkness. Just picture the terror of being lost in some forest at night with no moon, and crying out for help, and no one answers, that's outer darkness. That's what it means. And those who go into this outer darkness of hell, they're cast there. And so, and that's what Joseph's brothers did to Joseph. They cast him into the pit. First, they humiliate him by stripping him of his coat. Then they dehumanize him by casting him into the pit. Now, we're told about this pit. It says, it's emphasized to it, the pit was empty, and there was no water in it. Death comes, of course, in the desert where there's no water, and there's no water in the pit, so he appears he's going to die of dehydration. But just by the way how the Lord Jesus Christ died. He died of dehydration. Psalm twenty-two fourteen. Psalm twenty-two fourteen describes dehydration when he says, I am poured out like water. My bones are all out of joint. My heart is like wax melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like potsherd. My tongue cleaves to my jaws, and I am brought, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. The, the feeling of being poured out like water. This is dehydration. The heart struggling to pump blood because the blood is getting thicker and thicker as the water in the blood plasma is being drawn out to try to keep the cells alive in the body. The feeling of being like a broken piece of pottery. The feeling of the tongue that has no moisture in the mouth so it just sticks to the top of the jaws. All that's associated with dehydration. This is a description of dehydration. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ actually died of. Dehydration. It was death by dehydration. And that's how it looked as though it was going to be for Joseph here. It was going to die that way. A slow death of death by dehydration in an underground pit with no water. Boy, that's pretty bad. You know, that's almost as bad or similar bad. Well, I don't know what's bad. Bad, bad. Which is like Joseph. Jonah also felt the impact of this word cast. As Jonah said, thou hast cast me into the deep. (laughs) 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live, located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.